Hey there, welcome back to Earth Like Heaven. My name is Doug Ressler, and joining me as always is my good friend... Robbie Sherry. And Robbie and I are here to help you close the gap between heaven and earth in your life by learning to live like Jesus. Uh, last time, Robbie, we talked a little bit about um, the theodicy question, what happens when bad things happen to good people. And we talked about how for the Christian, there's this this understanding that while we are in this world, we were not really made for this world. We we're made for a different kind of world, and that world is 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 coming, that there will be a day when Jesus returns. And um, or to use the famous line from C.S. Lewis, there's a day when the sort of the author of the play steps onto the stage, and on that day, the pl- the play is over. At that point, done. you know, it's 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 all done. And and so then that begs the question, um, as we continue to talk about this idea of the good life, is for a lot of people, is how good do I have to be? When, when I come face to face with my maker, how good do I have to be? Like, what's the standard? What's the, you know, right. and for, I think, I think if a lot of people were honest, it'd be like, what's kind of like the minimum <laughs> bar, yeah. right? You know, that I have to get over, like, what's the lowest hurdle that I got to get over just to kind of get into heaven? Because as long as I'm there, I'm good. But like, other than that, I want to like do whatever I can to enjoy life in this world. Again, that sort of false dichotomy as if following Jesus means you don't enjoy life. I right, mean, right. But, but yeah, so what, what? Does the Christian, or what? What from a Christian perspective? You know, what do we say to this? Those those folks who are asking that question, like, you know, yeah, how good do I have to be? Yeah, I think I'd answer that question with a question, and in terms of if I have a, if I have a vat of the purest water possible, that you know, people try to sell you the the core of a glacier that they've drilled out that they say is water that was frozen before there was any pollutants on the planet or anything like that. If I have a vat of that, how much poop needs to be in it before it's not pure? Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's honestly right, the right, question. Right, 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 I don't know right. how to say right. it cleaner than that, I suppose. Yeah. But it's, yeah. if we're asking the minimal standard, that's right. At, at one level, God just gently says, I'm perfect. Right. It's he's holy. He's set apart. If you That's if right. you want to imagine this absolutely pure water swimming pool, and you say, well, what if what if I just bleed one drop of blood in it? The question isn't the quantity; it's the standard. And if the standard is purity in that sense, mm. it's no longer pure. Yeah. If the standard is perfection, we're not perfect. It doesn't matter volume or degree. Hmm. It's just once. So how how good do you have to be? At one level, there's really bad news mm-hmm. because you have to be perfect, right? But don't you think that most people would say again? And uh, yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. That's that's exactly that right down the line from a Christian perspective. But I, I think I even find that no, yeah, a lot of Christians think I think that their fundamental sort of operating sort of operating principle is that my good has to outweigh my bad, right? right? Almost as if like we got scales going on here. And as long as my good outweighs my bad, but your analogy really sort of like puts a fine point on it. And it's like, it's not about like, does your good outweigh your bad? It's that it's, it's pure and impure. Right. It's, it's, it's a different question. It's a different question, right? You put a little, a little bad and it just, it wrecks the whole thing. It makes the whole thing impure. It doesn't really matter it's it's no longer pure. And so it's not about, yeah, I've got 10 good deeds and nine bad deeds, so I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, right? That's right. You know, and I think, again, I think fundamentally that's like what a lot of people believe is it kind of, it kind of makes me, reminds me of like the ancient Egyptians. Ancient Egyptians believe that they would go before the God of the dead to be judged and they would take all their deeds from earth and put them on one side of the scale and they put a feather on the right. other side. And unless the feather outweighed 
all your deeds, you are going to hell. So pretty much everybody goes everybody to hell, goes, right? Yeah. You know, on some, on some level, like, like that idea of the eternal scales is on some level a little crazy to me. And the reason why it's crazy to me is I find that most people, including myself, there's no way I am aware of all the bad things. Oh, totally. Or even all the good things, honestly, totally. that I do. I'm well, just not that self-aware. So people want to know how good do I have to be. Right. And most people... This is quite the generalization, but again, remember the people who I interact with most are these true, teenagers. Yeah. Teenagers, right. Yeah. But it's... Yeah. They have great memories, Heaven the seems great, to be... Very self-aware <laughs> oh, yeah. human beings. Right. Teenagers, right? Yeah, totally. They, they, you know, heaven seems to be a golf course right. at some level right. with edible grass and candy right. and you bounce like you're in a Mario video game or yeah. something like that. It can fly at will. And there's rainbows and unicorns and, right. and these sorts of things. And... All you have to do to get there is be is find somebody who's worse than you, right? And just outrun them. And just just be yeah. (laughs) They have no concept that you can't outrun self. That you you know you you bring the the badness with you. If it cracks me up with you know you ask high school girls about their friendships and they go, I just don't want to be friends with you know girls who are are drama girls. And and then after a while they go, oh that that group had such drama in it. You go, do you ever? Do you ever wonder, like, maybe, I don't know. Like what's the common denominator you, yeah. here? Right, yeah. There's you, drama in the groups that you're in. Yeah. Always. Always. That's weird. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, how good do I have to be? Maybe you're the source <laughs> right. of the drama. We yeah. have no right. idea. We have such an unawareness yeah. that we bring the badness with us because we look That's around right. and we go, well, at least I'm not as bad as, so so God should reward me with heaven. And we, right. we see heaven as sort of this next level bonus secret Disneyland place, you know, like the Club 33 that you get to go to if you've got the VIP pass or something like that. And it's more, well, how about this? God goes, hey, I've got this perfect place. And if you show up, you're going to ruin it mm-hmm. um, because you're not perfect. So sorry about that. And we kind of go, but there's this common but, you know, there's this, mm. Jesus lives this perfect life so that in this crazy exchange, you get, you know, you get the poop filter, if you will. <laughs> you get the, right. you get the robe of righteousness so that God gets these filtered lenses right. through which to view your soul and sees perfection and all of your, all of the stuff that you're not even aware of that's terrible about you, uh, got ladled onto Jesus at the cross. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, I, I, that's exactly it. And I think that's, that's really the conception, right? That we, you know, when we talk about how good do you have to be, um, the good news of the gospel is it's not about your goodness. Right. <laughs> which takes all the pressure off, right? Totally. I mean, so whether you're, you're, you're like, you know, you're like I was in Boy Scouts as a kid and when they, you know, were off in the woods and they're like, if you encounter a bear, you know, the joke was always... You don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the guy, the slowest guy next to you, right? You know whether that's your conception of how good you have to be, right. or it is the scales, right? My goodness has to outweigh my badness, or it is the ice core, right? And just try and keep that as pure as possible. Like the reality is, fundamentally, someone always loses in that. Mm-hmm. We always lose in that. Frankly, there's just no way for us to even begin to conceive of earning our way into heaven earning our way into righteousness, earning our way into God's favor. That, that's simply not possible because God makes the standard impossibly high. Now, 
that in itself may call may cause some people to say, well, that calls God's goodness into question. Like, how could He set a, set a standard for us that that we could never potentially measure up to? And again, that's how we have to remember. Like, we have to remember the biblical story, which says, "Oh no, there was a day when we could measure up to it." Right. We were cr- actually created for it. For it, we were created to be perfect, even as God is perfect, and we chose a different path. And oh, by the way. That just that wasn't just Adam and Eve that chose that different path. Doug Ressler chooses that different path, like literally every all day, all the time, all the time, right. every minute. There's not a, like a moment when I'm not choosing that different path. And so, so like you said, what God then does, rather than righteously judge us and condemn us for all eternity to hell apart from Him, what does God do? Instead, and this is the again the compelling nature of Christianity. Totally, God provides His Son Jesus Christ, who doesn't just give us like a poop filter, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> and like screen out like the impurities. No, no, no. Yeah, He gives us something completely new. Yeah, like it's like He drills a new ice core and says, "Now this is yours. Give is, me yours." That's right. You know, that's right. The great it's exchange. an alien righteousness. It's not mm-hmm. something that He's not taking what we have and like cleaning it up. He's yeah. giving us something totally new, totally His becomes ours. What we have becomes his. And in that beautiful exchange, all of God's judgment, righteous judgment, goes on to Christ. And all of God's grace comes to us. Yeah. And that ultimately then is what makes us good. And so when people ask me the question like, well, how good do I have to be? I'm like, perfect. Right. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, well, that's not possible. I'm like, you're right. Absolutely. Not possible. That's exactly right. Not possible. And they're like, I mean, I've read the Old Testament and I've seen all the 630 some odd laws and there's just no way for me to fulfill all those. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. I said, just wait until you get to like the New Testament and the Sermon on the Mount, it gets worse, yeah. not better. And they're like, oh my goodness, I can't, you know. And I said, look, the, so why does God give us, God gives us the law to show us that there's no possible way. It almost, God gives us the law to actually create a sense of hopelessness in ourselves so that we will turn to Him. Right. We will turn to Him for hope, knowing there's no hope in me that I can ever achieve this. It's just not possible. That's an interesting yeah. thing, because in education, yeah. right, when you look at some of our, our country's oldest universities, they were started as... No, seminaries. Seminaries. That's absolutely right. right. And, and part of a complete education Shout was, out to Princeton, my there it is. alma mater. Yeah. I mean, you look at their, their slogans and their right. mottos. They're about truth and light and right. these sorts of things. And at one time, people considered a full education to be biblical literacy. Right. And which is why in our country for years and years and years, in, in every public school, there'd be the Ten Commandments. Right. That's Ten right. Commandments would be there as, as part of this sort of remnant of, you know, religion being part of a full education. But like what you're saying, when you read the Ten Commandments, I mean, at one level, they were taught to kids like, hey, don't lie, don't right. steal. Right. Don't think that you deserve something more than somebody else or that they don't deserve it. Don't do any of these sorts of things. Right. And really, the, it's not, it doesn't stop there. God doesn't give the law to go, hey, if you do these things, you can be with me forever. And if not, good luck. He really holds them up as a mirror to us so that we say, wow, I've already lied mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm four years old. Right. Or I've already stolen my friend's Lego figure and I'm only seven. Yeah. Are you telling me that those are the standards for eternity with you, and I, I blew him once, and so, and he, Jesus kind of goes, well, yeah, here's the thing, 
it gets worse. Like you're right. gonna you're gonna screw those fundamental ten rules that everybody right. agrees are good ideas. By the way, it doesn't right. People they don't seem to be like, transcultural. Yeah, right? they yeah. don't. Mm -hmm. it, until you mention they're from the Bible, that's right. what irks people. But if you say, right. "Is it a good idea if, as a culture, we decide like don't kill each other?" People go, "That's a pretty good rule." Right. If you're gonna start a culture, like right. let's let's start with that. Like, how about you don't take things that aren't yours? Right. Everybody would say for a morality thing, they're pretty good. And then if we're honest, we say, yeah, I do that all the time. Yeah. Okay. So is there no hope for me? And God goes, no, I, I needed you to recognize that so that you recognize your lack of perfection, despite your heart's desiring perfection, hmm. but there's a way. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, John Calvin, a famous reformed sort of theologian um, from the 16th century, he talked about three uses for the law. So when you talk about like, how good do we have to be, mm -hmm. people might go to the Bible and they might like try and find out like, okay, here are the 10 commandments. I'm gonna try and keep the 10 commandments. Right. Right? Or, you know, here are the, the Levitical laws and I'm gonna try and keep those, right? I mean, there, in fact, there was a bestseller uh, from a guy, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. The Prayer of Jabez? No, 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 no oh. not that one. No, not that. Um, there was a, <laughs> there was a bestselling book uh, a couple of years ago from a guy who he lived, it was a, a year of living biblically. And oh, he tried to basically live according to the Levitical law for an entire year. Was he Jewish? Was yeah, he? Um, okay. like an atheist Jew. Yeah. I believe it was his background. And a secular Jew, I should say. And um, so he tries to live it. You know, he talked about like what the experience was like trying to wow, keep the law. That's a right? fascinating you know? experience. And so, I mean, there was like a famous funny story in there where like he meets a prostitute and he like, you know, asks if he can stone her. So he like takes up these little pebbles. And, right. You know, it's stuff like that. Right. I mean, kind of like on some level, silly, you know, a little bit. But on another level, like really trying to like live out the the heart of this thing, right? Um, and what he learned and experienced and some of those kinds yeah. of things. So some people might take that as a loss. Some people might take like the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount or whatever it might be, right? They might take these things and say, okay, I'm going to try and live according to biblical law. That's going to be my standard for goodness. That, of course, is what the Pharisees were trying to do, right? right? They were trying not, not to try and earn their way to heaven. That's not how... Pharisees, first century Pharisees thought, they just thought that as a matter of being God's covenant people, in order to be faithful to God, you live out, you live according to the law. And if we were faithful enough, then God would redeem Israel. God would do something, he would send mm. his Messiah and throw the Romans out and all that kind of stuff, right? right. That, that was their kind of, kind of mindset on some level. And so Calvin sort of picks up this idea of like, how good do we have to be? Of course, he's coming out of medieval Roman Catholicism mm -hmm. where they're asking that question. And um, he says, okay, look, there's three uses for the law in the Bible. Number one, the first use and the most important use is to show you how perfect God is and how imperfect we are. Okay. In that sense, it is to be like a mirror, right? right, Reflecting God's perfect righteousness back to us and exposing our sinful shortcomings, mm -hmm. right? So that's, that's the first use of the law, right? Okay. To kind of bring us to our knees in hopelessness so that we'll turn to Christ in repentance, right? and in faith, and receive the grace that he has. The second use of the law is that it restrains evil. Okay. Right? And that's like the civil use, right? Like, again, right. thou they're, shalt they're not murder. Ideas. Like, every culture has that, right? Yeah. Thou shalt not steal. Every culture has that. These are sort of common, common things in, in every culture. And then the third is to teach us, once we have come to faith, mm -hmm. it is to train us in righteousness. Now, we'll never fully be able to perfectly, you know, keep the law, but the reality is the law of God is a good and beautiful thing that teaches us how to live. Now here we're talking about the moral law. We're not talking about like ceremonial law, like don't right. wear clothing with mixed fibers, don't eat shellfish, those right. kinds of things. Those are those are other pieces to the law that, I mean, you get too deep into this, but 
we're talking about the moral law here. It's mm-hmm. actually a good thing to restrain our sexuality. Right. It's a good thing to restrain our, our greed. Yeah. It's a good thing. I mean, these are good things and the law is given to teach us how to restrain those things so that under the influence of the Holy Spirit now we will live a different life. Again, not to become good. Right. That's not how we become good. We become good only through the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf, only as he takes our place. But, but flowing from that, we, out of gratitude for what Jesus has done, live life a particular way as a living sacrifice, right? Offering it back to God, yes, holy and yes. pleasing to him. Um, that's our, uh, you know, in that way, our lives become an act of worship in themselves, you know, and, and that's, a, and that, that again, takes all the pressure off. I meet so many people who wonder at the end of their lives, have if I been good enough? Done enough. Yeah. If, been, if the story of Christianity is right. true, yeah. it's a weird cosmic understanding to sit there and go, let, let's just play this out in yeah. a way that maybe you get it. Let's, let's yeah. pretend that you, at some point in living, you've got this You've got this outer garment called a robe, cloak, jacket, whatever. And each time you mess up, small, big, large, doesn't matter, whatever, you get you get some sort of stain on it. You get some sort of imperfection, a tear, etc. And two thousand years ago, this this God man in Jesus Christ has this horrific day. There's this interesting scene in the Bible where it says Jesus goes down to this Garden of Gethsemane, which is it's an olive press, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's where right. he's really squeezed yeah. in this moment, and it talks about this this anguish that he's in, um, and he says these weird words. He says, "You know, God, if you're willing, would you let this cup pass mm-hmm. from me?" Mm-hmm. And the idea of this cup is introduced in the book of Isaiah. That God, every time you and I screw up, anytime all of humanity for all of history is screwed up, it's like God puts His wrath into this cup, mm. this giant vat that he's right. that he's just holding. And, and Jesus says, you know, if it were up to me, mm-hmm. I'd rather not have to drink this. Right. I'd rather right. you not pour this out, That's but right. not my will, your will be done. Mm-hmm. And in that cup exists God's righteous anger at my screw up that I've yet to commit. Mm. And so I'm, I'm pushing 50 and at 60, I know I'm going to screw up. I know there's going to be still stuff in my life that's yeah. going to fall short of the, of the law of the Ten yeah. Commandments. And God took his anger for that because he transcends time, put it in his cup, dumps it on Jesus Christ so that in that moment, then I get this perfect pure robe uh, that's been washed in his blood. He takes my stained robe. And so I have this, this freedom now to know that, that God's no longer angry, right. that I get to walk in this life that, am I going to screw up? Yes. Does God get angry at that? Yes, but he already did. Right. It was dumped on his son, Jesus. So now I get to walk in this interesting freedom that's, wow, I have this confidence knowing that I'm already, I'm already forgiven for sins I've yet to commit, right. but that doesn't give me this license to do whatever the heck right. I want. Right. But it, and, st- and it also doesn't make me cower under this like, woe is me, God could never love me. Look at how I, I'm still yeah. sinning after all these years of trying to follow him. It, it should create in me a posture of, I can't believe he would find me still lovable after all this and forgive me for this. So it gives me this interesting, I don't know, it's just sense between those things. I don't walk with this. I'm awesome. And yes, I also don't walk with this. Woe is me, but this right confidence in God has given me 
more than enough. I'm, I am perfect in his eyes. I yeah. don't have to be good enough anymore. Yeah. Get a recognition of all the things he did or, or what he did, I would say, in his son Jesus to, to get me there. And that's really the definition of true saving faith. When you recognize there is no double jeopardy. Right. Right. God, <laughs> has, God has already poured out his righteous anger and justice on his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. He's not going to do it again on you. Mm-mm. Okay. Secondly, true saving faith means that you live your life in deep gratitude and appreciation for what Jesus has done. Yeah. And because of that, because you have such deep gratitude and appreciation for what he's done, you want to honor him with everything that you have, all that you are, right? So you're not going to take this incredible gift as a license to then go off and do whatever you want. You're also not going to take this incredible gift as this unbelievable like shaming event that makes you like ashamed of who you are or what you've done or like, you know, feel condemned constantly or guilty constantly. No, right. You're set free from all of those things. All of it. You're set free from the guilt and the burden and the obligation of the law. You're set free from the guilt that comes from living a life apart from the law, right? And, and instead you walk in this unbelievable freedom that comes from having this incredible gratitude towards Jesus Christ. When you were talking about Jesus sort of drinking this cup to the dregs, right? I mean, yeah. there's like literally nothing left, right? And you're talking about like God just storing up his wrath at humanity because Jesus dies not just for my sins, but for the sins of the whole Everybody. world. That's what John, that's the first John says. So, so if that's true, first John two, two, if that's true, if that's right? True. He died not just for my sins only, but for the sins of the world. Then that means all of God's righteous anger and indignation at all of the crimes humanity has committed since its inception, all the way until the day that Jesus comes again, like right. all of that gets poured into this cup and Jesus drinks it. To its dregs, right? Unbelievable. Kind of reminds me of a funny story, uh, not really analogous in any way, shape, or form, but when you were talking, I was thinking about this. When I was a freshman in college, before I knew Christ, I'm on this lacrosse, I'm on this trip, um, lacrosse trip out to the West Coast, and we're playing Cal and some other teams out there and stuff like that. We go to a bar one night, and... um, and at the end of the night, you know, we're closing down the bar. Oh, I know where this is going. You know going. where this is going, right? Oh. And so the bartender comes up to us, you know, we're just drunk as, yes. you know, all get out. And he's totally taking advantage of us, as he probably should. Anyway, he, he, he looks at us and he goes, have you guys ever had a bar towel? And I'm like, a bar towel? And he's like, yeah. He's like, it's the best drink we have, a bar towel. And I was like, sign me up, you know? Yes. So he takes out this glass and he takes his bar towel. And but he he's wiped all the, all the right, crap up yes. all night. Oh. And he just rings it into this glass and he puts it on the on the counter. Made, made me pay for it, I believe. I, think I had to pay <laughs> something for this. And he's like, I, you know, basically, dare you drink it? And I'm like, you know, drink it, drink it to the dregs right. and just proceed to puke all over the bar and the floor and everything like that but you know as you're talking that's kind of what i'm picturing right like that's the image in my head is that jesus gets like the eternal bar towel from like history right from like creation all the way forward universal history jesus gets the bar towel the father just sort of takes the towel that he's been wiping up all of the junk of humanity cleaning up after our mess for how many millennia rings it into a cup and then says Drink. And Jesus, Here you go. Um, and Jesus is like, another way? is there another way? Yeah. <laughs> and I guess what I'm saying is, I wonder yeah. if I, I wish I'd asked that question <laughs> right. of the bartender. Is there another is there way? Another way? You, you get another drink? This? Because I'm not really interested in that. Right. Um, well, it's, it's something you know. that my dad, who was raised Catholic, uh, found too good to be true. Yeah. Hmm. So he, he, right. I mean, he's raised in this home that he goes, wait a sec. I, in order to be good... I've 
I've got to go to confession. Yeah. I've got to partake in the sacraments. I've got to, I've got to do these mm. things and rectify them when I'm wrong continuously in this mm. sort of endless loop. I've got to venerate Mary. I've got to do yeah. all these things. And so when he hears the gospel presented for the first time, mm. he kind of scoffs at it. Like yeah. well, that's JV Christianity. Right. You know, once you're at right. the varsity team, you know, let's, let's pray a catechism here. I'll show right. you how it's done. And it, it really took him a while to go. Mm. So what, what you're saying is I don't have to be good enough because God through Jesus has already been good for me. Mm. And his default was, well, what's to stop people from doing whatever they want then? Right. That just seems like too easy. And then, then what are you going to do? Just say, I'm sorry in your last breath. And that's, that's going to be it. Right. And it, it, he just couldn't, re- having come from a tradition that said, you've got to, you know, this idea, he had this language of um, practicing Catholic or I can't remember the other term was nominal Catholic mm-hmm. or like, I'm just Catholic, but I'm not a practicing Catholic or something like that. To hear this gospel presented and go, no, it's not a matter of, of how good you have to be. God's already been good. And it's this concept of like, if there's two doors and a, and a breezeway in between going into a building and there's, let's say, you walk up and a stranger walks up at the same time and the stranger opens the door for you. It's the weird person who steps through and then waits for the stranger to open the next door. Right. Totally. There's this natural compulsion that, well, he showed me this kindness as a result Mm. because he initiated, I'm going to want to love that person back. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to hold the proverbial second door. Yes. Right. Right. And it's, it is so challenging to get people to this place of good. And like, this is amazing. This is really good news. Yeah. I know. So you, you don't have to grow exhausted anymore in an effort to be good. But once you recognize the goodness of Christ, hmm. then there's this inherent desire in you to want to honor him through, you know, grace driven effort in obedience to his law as as a means of going, I, I cannot believe this. And that's the life that if we are engaged in living, people can look at us and go, well, you're not perfect. And he, I mean, Christians should be the first to be like, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Here's the difference. I admit it. Yeah. That's you know, right. I, like <laughs> freely admit it. That's it right. It's, and it's, it takes away this, mm-hmm. you know, effort to try to prove it's, it's the anti-social media in mm-hmm. the sense that like, you're actually kind of going, yeah, I'm, I'm not good enough. Right, right. This admittance. And so now... Right. You're the guy taking selfies without makeup and just sort of of normal life rather than staging your photos to try and appear perfect, right? <laughs> I, kind I of feel like that there. implies that I take selfies yeah. of myself. I was going to say, you don't do that. But a, yeah. or B, with makeup. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> right, 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 right. Point is, you're not right. staging photos and like, it's yeah, got to be a little... Because you're not trying to project a look right. to the world. Uh, because you don't feel the pressure to do that. And you know what? Even my, you know, I, we, obviously as a, I'm a pastor, right? So one of the questions I get all the time, even for people in our church, is like, wh- why do I need to go to church? And it's like, well, can we, like, can we just unpack, like, if that's really the question you're asking, I think there's actually something before that that we need to ask. Yeah. If you look at church, if you look at coming to worship, if you look at worshiping with God's people, if you look at living the life that God wants you to live. If you look at these things as sort of obligations you have to keep, I'm not sure you understand saving faith. Right. You might have raised your hand. Might have walked down. You might have walked down front. You might have even gotten 
immersed or something like that, but you don't really understand saving faith. If you, if you fundamentally look at these things as obligations you have to do in order to kind of keep God happy. My Catholic friends, I've got a great friend who, who came to faith and, and is a, is a practicing Catholic in like, I mean, mass every day. I mean, does all the right things. A Shiite Catholic. Right. On some level. (laughs) I think Shiite Catholic. Um, And, and you know what? He understands it. He does those things because he wants to, because he, he's mm. so devoted yeah. to Christ. And I admire him. It is awesome. He doesn't look at him as obligations. These are not have-tos. These are not like, oh, I got this checklist. I got to like hit every box this week in order to stay in right standing with mm-hmm. God. That is not how he looks at it. He looks at it as, I love worship. I get to. I get to worship. I actually get to go confess my sins. This is actually a good thing for me. Yeah. I get to receive the, the promise of assurance. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing for me. I get to receive communion, the body and blood of Christ, and I take it very seriously. That's a good thing for me. Like, he loves all of that. And I just, again, I think that's an example. So whether you're Catholic all the way to Baptist or Catholic all the way to Pentecostal or whatever the spectrum of faith commitment from one side to the other that you want to talk about in terms of Christianity, in terms of the Christian faith, what we're talking about is understanding that we live our lives out of gratitude for what God has done for us. We don't live our lives in order to be good enough for for God or to achieve some level of goodness before God so that we can earn salvation or earn his favor or earn his blessing. Yeah. That is not what this is about. And, and so making sure we remind ourselves of that constantly so that we don't fall into legalism on one side or, hey, I'm going to, I've got to do this, otherwise God's going to be mad at me. Or, I, I don't know. What licentiousness. Licentiousness, or, you know, just sort of unfettered freedom on the other side, where, oh, I've, God, I've got my good out of hell free card now, so I can just do whatever I want. Like, Yolo, yeah. like those two poles are, are that, those that'll absolutely lead you into misery. Mm. There's a third way, and that's the gospel way, and that's living your life out of total gratitude for what God has done for you. So again, it's not about how good we are. It's about how good God is right. and what he has done for us. And because he is good enough, you know, on some level, we don't have to be. Those are his and words on the, the cross. That's it. Right. Like yeah. it is finished. Totally. And, and with that, our podcast is finished. Selah. <laughs> Selah. <laughs> Oh, thanks, Robbie, for being here as always, my friend. And thanks to Jake and Billy, our guys behind the glass, making us sound good. Please keep listening as we dive deeper into what it means to follow Jesus and to love him and to serve him. Uh, We'd love your comments as well, as well as your reviews on whatever platform you choose to listen to your podcast. Stay tuned and stay subscribed as we release more episodes in the coming weeks. And we'll talk to you next time.